Suck at Golf, and let me tell you why. I'm Avery Dovsik, your host of the Why You Suck at Golf podcast. How are we? I know it's been a minute. I moved from California back to New York after this crazy pandemic, even though we're still kind of in it and it sucks, but I'm back. Uh, house had no hot water when I got back, car didn't run, uh, no Wi-Fi, you know, few obstacles, but everything's squared away now, and I'm here to give you a fun little episode with guest Alex Beach. He's going to talk about his experience after competing in the PGA Championship a couple weeks ago, and just a little bit about his life, his resume, and what's going on for him. So stay tuned, but first, let's hear from Anchor. Today, I am joined with Alex Beach, a professional golfer on the Corn Ferry Tour and has a couple exemptions on the PJ Tour for the rest of the year. He is a playing and teaching professional at Westchester Country Club, defending PGA professional national champion and assistant national champion. How are you? I'm today? doing great. How are you? I'm great. So tell me about this week. What were you up to? Uh, this week? Oh, uh, all good things. Played in the New York State Open over at Bethpage Black, which is one of my favorite golf courses on the planet. So outside of the commute to beautiful Long Island, it was a a very fun week. And I was lucky I played pretty well and uh, finished fourth, which, you know, you always think back the ones you left out there, but it's uh, another good week. So no complaints. Yeah. How do you deal with, you know, reflecting on your round after and saying, you know, I could have done this or that. Uh, I mean, that's always the battle with golf. Um, It's always frustrating, but I think as in anything, you just find the positives and take, take away. And, you know, it won't be my last tournament. It certainly wasn't my first. So I think every time you go through it is a learning experience, but I've become pretty level-headed with it. And, you know, to finish, to be in the second to last group going into the final day on, on any level is always a position I want to be in. So, um, yeah, you just you find what's good and, and then you find what you can improve on for the next one. Yeah, I'll say. Yeah, the commute um, to Long Island isn't great. So I'm out currently in Long Island. So I definitely can relate to that, how the parkways are worse than L.A. traffic, in my opinion. Um, so, well, that's good. You played well this week. I guess you got that going. Yeah, for you, which right? is nice. You know, it's something. In 2020, I'm looking for any <laughs> positives that I can take away. Exactly. So a couple of weeks ago, you played at your third PGA championship, right? Did. Yes. Out in beautiful California. How was that? You know, it was, um, again, it's always great to be playing on the PGA Tour. It's, uh, it's a position I've become comfortable in and something I'm hoping to make a little more full time. But uh, it was a unique event, that one in particular. Um, you know, being in San Francisco, uh, not having fans among you know amongst the whole coronavirus thing um so it was very unique but at the same time it kind of provided uh a neat opportunity for me i felt very comfortable there you know it's it's easier to focus without fifty thousand people um although it does take away from a lot of the fun and excitement of of being out there on tour but uh it was a very good week i played well um yeah missed the cut by a couple shots but again kind of to your last question it's just taking positives away and i I finished, I don't even know, 100th out of 156. And, you know, I beat 22 PGA Tour champions, 10 major champions, and I beat Tiger on Friday. And, you know, all these things that are not going to show up in the score sheet, but they're things for me as I try to build confidence on that level and, and you know, prove to myself that I can compete out there. Uh, so from that standpoint, uh, it was a great week, and it was always nice to spend a little time in California too. So win-win. 
Yeah, I'll say. And I saw a couple pictures and videos of you standing pretty close and swinging an extra tiger. How was that? Do you get shocked at all, or are you kind of used to it? No, I'm, you know, I'm used to it in all the right ways. Um, it was just kind of a happen chance thing. You know, I go on the driving range, and the only spot open was next to him. And again, I've been lucky. I've spent enough time out there. I live in Jupiter in the winter, where most of those guys, including Tiger, live. So we've had some contact at Metalist in some various places. And you know, it's, it's fun. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's work. So, you know, he's doing his thing. I'm doing mine. It's fun that we're having kind of a cordial conversation, but that's across the board, whether it's Tiger, Ricky, Justin, Rory, whoever. Um, but you know, like stepping away from that and being like the golf man that I am outside of being in the moment, you know, it, it was pretty cool. And a lot of my friends who were watching the coverage took some pretty cool pictures and sent them my way. So those are something that I'll cherish forever. And, uh, you know, it's just uh, part of the excitement of being out there, I guess. But it uh, it is impressive watching him hit golf balls up close. I will say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's I think I've seen it in person as well, pretty close on the range. And I was just like, wow, he is a machine. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. And, you know, it's also fun to see him and, and Joe and everybody kind of being candid. And I think that was something without the fans that, you know, these professionals can be a little bit more of themselves, you know, they, in all the right ways, they don't have to watch what they say quite as much. You're not dealing with people begging for autographs and attention and pictures and saying things. So it, it definitely felt more relaxed. And I think that just kind of lent itself to a really cool atmosphere all week. Um, and in, in that case of point on Tuesday, hitting balls, you know, just literally having a normal conversation rather than having to kind of watch our P's and Q's, which was really fun. Yeah. What were the protocols like with the coronavirus and testing and all that? So we all had to get tested upon arrival. Um, and I'll say this, I thought they did an excellent job. The tour has done it, both Corn Ferry and PGA Tour, since this whole thing started with getting back into golf plan. And so what we had to do was go and get tested before we could go on property. So you drive in, you know, we've all registered already. Um, they jab your brain with the Q-tip and... Uh, <laughs> you know, hope nothing comes out of it, but they, uh, they did a great job. They had a lab right there. So it took about an hour to get our results. And once you tested negative, you could then go through the rest of the registration process, get your credential, get your pass, get your yardage books and all that good stuff. But, you know, driving in every day, there was about six different checkpoints, you know, one to make sure that you were a player, you had that credential. The next one was the COVID, um, and everything was symptom based. So they, they shot your forehead with the little laser beam to see how hot you were. And if you were good to go, they gave you a little bracelet. Then you went to the next one and make sure you had your bracelet. Then the next one, make sure you had your player ID. And they just did a really good job policing it, making sure that nobody that wasn't supposed to be in the quote bubble did not make it in there. Mm -hmm. And then once on the grounds, we had to wear a mask anytime we were outside the ropes. Um, and probably the most interesting part I thought all week was, because there was no fans, what they had built for the merchandise tent, which was massive, they converted mm -hmm. into our locker room. And oh. every locker was six feet apart with a high top table. So, you know, every other locker room I've ever been in, it's just loaded with lockers. There's maybe some benches, maybe some chairs. You know, you've got basically no space at all. And now every locker was individually bolted to the ground with a table. So, you know, it probably covered the majority of a merchandise tent, which it just looked enormous. And 
part of the protocol uh, being in San Francisco was we had to eat our food at our little table. So it kind of felt like high school where, or maybe even grade school where you kind of grab your, your food, you walk along, you've got your mask on, you say hi to your friends, and then you have to go sit in your own little corner. But, uh, you know, <laughs> it was fun all in the, you know, all for the right reasons of staying safe and, uh, and they did an awesome job. So still very unique, um, you know, interviews, you were kind of having to yell cause you were six to 10 feet away from somebody, but, um, it, uh, it was unique, but in no way bad or, or inconvenient. Yeah, that's, I just got tested on Monday and I cried, like not cried because of pain, but my eyes, oh my gosh, did I tear up? I think that's an understatement. I like, she looked at me and she was like, your eyes are bloodshot. And I was like, yeah, well, you just did this to me. Like, this is your fault. Um, Yeah, not a fan of the testing, but we're negative. So no complaints could be a lot worse. Um, As far as your caddy did he kind of have to go through all the same protocols like was he allowed to eat with you or uh so he yeah they all had to go through the exact same testing procedure um anybody even your coach your physio guy or girl uh they all had to get tested anyone that was going to go on property um and it was weird because we really were not allowed to have anybody come with us outside of like our core group you know typically at a major i might have 10 passes you know who i give to family or friends or whoever that can get full access, you know, as well as my coach and caddy, whoever. Mm -hmm. And this was really limited. So I really only had a caddy, but everyone had to go through the same thing. They had their own um, dining area, so to speak, which is pretty common. You know, players and caddies very infrequently will eat together, um, at least at a big tournament like that. And uh, it was weird. Like w- when we were told we had to sit at our tables, they made all the caddies eat outside. So fortunately the weather was decent. I kind of felt bad about that, but uh, you know, I, I think we're okay. all just looking at it like it, it is the times and we're all so grateful to be playing and, you know, to be making money and, and having things to do where many other sports are still kind of uh, more interesting, I guess I'll say. Yeah, for sure. And so from we watched it on TV. I've been to I've worked at the PGA Championship in 2018 in person. What would you say the biggest difference or the biggest thing that people don't see um that happens behind the scenes at an event like that is? <laughs> There's a lot. Um you know, I guess they're from many different vantage points. There you know, one I would say is the amount of work that it goes into it and you having worked one, you might have had a taste of that. You know, I've been a club professional before I started kind of playing on tour and I've worked uh, several majors, us open PGAs from the other side. And I know how much work goes into it. And certainly in a year like this, it's kind of a logistical nightmare having to balance, you know, all of that plus the CDC and all these health protocols that are constantly changing and stuff like that. Um, But, you know, as a player, it's a lot of fun, you know, again, to not have fans that takes away a lot of the excitement. I think, you know, being out there with like the junior golfers, signing autographs, taking pictures, being able to give them a souvenir of some kind, you know, that's really exciting for everybody. Uh, plus the energy that the, the crowd brings, it's a lot of fun. So in the absence of that, I think the players just really enjoyed having, you know, the, the time out there. It's still a major. You're still playing for real money and points. And uh, but, you know, behind the scenes, I think it's just we're normal people. Um you know, outside of the lens of being a professional athlete, they're, you know, 
just hardworking people and we hang out, you go to the hotel, you have dinner, you laugh, you, you do normal things. And, and I think that's one of the biggest things, at least for me is when I'm out there doing that, you just strive so much to find normal um, because so much of your day is abnormal. Um, you know, being toted around mm-hmm. to different interviews and photos and um, all your obligations that you have on tour. And then, you know, your downtime, you really, I think, find something that you enjoy. And part of that traveling is fun, seeing new things. And so, but again, with, with the quarantine, there just wasn't as much to do. You couldn't go enjoy San Francisco. You couldn't really go enjoy all of the sites or anything like that. Um, so this mm-hmm. week was certainly a lot different than any previous one. But the behind the scenes, I would say, is, is just fun. It's cordial and, you know, everyone's just a, a normal person. Yeah. What kind of preparation do you do specifically for a tournament like that? Or what does your practice routine look like and kind of hours you dedicate to the sport? Sure. Um, Leading up to any event, I would say I start focusing a lot on it once I get there. Um, And that sounds bad, but when, you know, when you're traveling full time and you're kind of going week to week, you've got those three or four days, you know, Sunday afternoon or Sunday night through Wednesday night to really prepare and get to know the course and the downside for me is a lot of these tournaments um, are my first time playing so I'm having to get used to everything but you know once you get used to it and kind of build a routine um, then it just kind of becomes clockwork but you know I'm in the gym regularly every week um, like four or five days a week as it is I stretch a lot I practice I hit balls you know whether I'm up here in New York or traveling um, I've built kind of a routine I can do in hotel rooms or Airbnbs with my fitness stuff and I try to eat right and so you know I just kind of keep ongoing health where I'm ready to go at any point in time you know I, I could get a call today that I get in the tournament next week and I've got to get on a plane and be ready to go so there's not a lot of downtime in terms of that so leading up to an event you know maybe I'll I'll do a couple things to get used to what the weather might be or any differences, the tournament, if it's going to be super fast greens or if it's going to be wet, you know, I may try and cater my practice to cover that. Um, But I think the biggest thing I've learned is just always stay ready. And, you know, I think if you're rushing at the last minute to try and prepare for something, just like a test or anything else, you're not going to do your best. It's just constant reminders, constant work and certain things like that. But a tournament week is fun. Um, there's no question. And, and I've been fortunate to play enough now where I kind of know exactly what I need to do and how much time I really need to spend at the course. And I think the most valuable thing is spending time away from it. Like I mentioned earlier, you know, you, part of your heart wants to be out there, especially when there's fans and it's exciting, but you still have to rest and make sure your body's ready to go and, uh, and your mind too. Cause sometimes after being out there for a few weeks, especially if the weather's hot or, or changing conditions, you're, you're shot. So I think just kind of always being ready to go, but it, you know, the, the behind the scenes work of golf is incredible. Um, and you kind of asked about the tournament prep, but I would say to the majority of the golfers out there at any level, you know, what they're doing behind the scenes, not in front of the cameras is, is really where it all happens and kind of what happens when no one else is looking the, the practice, mm-hmm. the preparation, it's, it's incredible. Um, it's, it's not easy to win out there. It's, it's hard to get there. And uh, I think that's probably what would surprise most average golfers is really how much goes into it. Yeah, I love that. And I think it's not talked about as much. I think it's glorified to an extent. But, you know, that mental battle and like you said, of being out there for a week straight and who knows what kind of weather conditions is taxing 
and listening to yourself and kind of recognizing that is huge. But I want to step away from what you're currently doing and I want to go back in time. And how did you get into golf? Um, what did it look like for you growing up? So, uh, great question. Um, I certainly have a more unique story than most people. I grew up in Minnesota, uh, which is not exactly the golf capital of the world. Um, I grew yeah, up in... you say you don't like cold weather. <laughs> well, <that's laughs> now only... I know why. Yeah, I've, I've experienced enough of it to know that I don't like it. Um, you know, like other things in life, it's just something I choose. And I'm fortunate now with golf as my profession, I can travel and kind of avoid it. Um, but I grew up playing baseball, uh, soccer, ice hockey. I was always very athletic. Um, sports always came fairly naturally to me. Um, you know, I, w- I was not a big kid. Uh, so some of those sports were a little tougher for me growing up. And I was fortunate. I kind of hit a growth spurt and grew about a foot in high school. And then once I got out, I started working out a lot and, you know, gotten to where I am now. But if it wasn't for my family moving onto a golf course when I was going into fourth grade, I doubt that I'd be, well, I'd almost guarantee I wouldn't be in this position. And simply due to proximity, living on a golf course, I became interested in the game. It was something I could do on my own time. You didn't need a team to do it. And it was really that thing, like, I could teach myself how to do it. And the results were solely based on the effort that I put into it. And that kind of goes back to the comment I made earlier about how much work goes into it. I mean, it's taken years of practice and failure and some success to get to where I am now, to where I can show up at a you know, a tournament and go and play well and, and be comfortable and all these little thoughts and expectations are kind of muted because I've gone through it so many times. But um, going into high school, I gave up every other sport to play golf and I played four years of varsity golf, um, was all state, all conference, all that good stuff. And then when it came time to talk about college, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And my next door neighbor did the golf management program at Ferris state. I remember he came and talked to our golf team one day, he came back from school and he kind of explained what it was. He's like, you know, I'm able to golf and I'm still going to get a business degree and, you know, kind of learn a business side, have a skill. And and at the time, which was 2008 when the economy was basically uh, in a very tough spot, I was going into college and I'm thinking, okay, well, this path has a 100% job placement post-grad right now. And I'm like, that's huge. So I ended up going to the University of Nebraska and I did the golf management program. So I did not play college golf, which is probably one of the most unique things about me that most people don't know. They just assume that I did and I didn't. Um, So in college, I got uh, two degrees. I got a degree in golf management. I got a degree in business leadership communications and got out and started focusing my career as a club pro of trying to become a head pro at a top hundred club. And I did, uh, I did internships on the West coast over in Arizona. And then I moved to the East coast. I worked at congressional, um, I worked, worked two years back and forth between burning tree and Washington, DC and desert mountain Scottsdale. And then I took a job at Ridgewood in New Jersey for three years. I was at Baltus raw for two years. And then most recently Westchester. And I would say, probably five years ago, I started really getting competitive about playing. And I think that was always like my, my fire. And I realized very quickly in this business, what being a good player could give me in terms of just opportunity, job, financial benefits, 
you know, the travel, mm-hmm. um, and out here, you know, your playing ability is a lot of your respect in terms of how you're, you know, kind of seen in the eyes of everybody. So I started playing with better players. I started going to Florida in the winter and really dedicating myself to playing and saying, you know what, I've heard enough people say that I'm good. I know that I'm good, <clears throat> but if I really work at it, you know, where can I end up? And I think I'm still in the middle of that process, but, you know, to, to now have a tour card and, you know, won a couple national championships last year and have kind of positioned myself to, you know, try and, and give this tour thing a shot. Uh, it's been very exciting, but it, it definitely came from humble beginnings and I've never had a lesson. I'm completely self-taught, which is ironic because I teach golf for a living when I'm not traveling. So, you know, but I, I think I can, I can empathize with people because I've gone through everything that they're going through. And I've learned how to do it. I certainly understand the golf swing and all the math and science behind it. But, you know, it uh, in many ways, this just, just kind of came out of nowhere. But at the same time, it's been just a ton of hard work. And, uh, you know, I'm very happy with how things have worked out. And I hope there's a lot more ahead. That's incredible. I love that because so I myself is pretty much self-taught. My father, who was picking up the sport at the same time as me. Um, we kind of navigated this game together. So I really have had maybe a handful of lessons. So I like that. And plus my team, I love them, but they think they have peaked. And I'm just, it blows my mind when I hear that because how many professional golfers don't win their first tournament till they're, you know, well after 30, 40, you never know when that light bulb is going to go off. So I think that's awesome how you didn't even play in college. You picked it up after and that fire was lit well after that yeah exactly and you know golf is such a it's such a tough sport i know you know your podcast why do people suck at golf like it's hard it's really freaking hard but <laughs> i think the hardest part of it is is balancing your expectation you know learning how to be patient and these are things that i you know i, I struggled with when i was a kid and you want to be good and you expect greatness every single time and it's just a game that's not going to give you that And so it takes so much failure to learn how to be successful in this game and how to, you know, certainly when you start getting into higher level golf, whether it's a college tournament or a PGA tour event or a corner event or a state open, you know, how do you, how do you manage yourself over multiple days of playing and realize how, how valuable making a bad day as good as it can be and making a great day as good as it can be, you know, it's just, there's so much that goes into it. And unfortunately I think it's a sport that you're not going to learn these things until you go through them. And that's part of failing. Mm-hmm. And now there's a few exceptions of people who are just incredibly gifted that, and we see them on tour. Now these young kids who come out of college and, you know, they're having success very early, but at the same time, it's no fluke. It's not like they got there any easier than the rest of us, but it's just, it's such a hard game. But at the same time, I think it's the most rewarding game when you have a good week or when you play a, round maybe you make your first par whatever your next level of success is you know the work that Mm -hmm. goes into it and achieving it is the greatest feeling ever and that's I think we're teaching golf it's more than just you know the mechanics of the swing but how do you go out there and perform your best and what's your goal and I'm very goal focused goal oriented Um, I've had mentors for years just tell me every year you have to write down some things three like personal goals and like three professional goals and kind of create a roadmap to get there. And that was invaluable for me because, you know, you're going to have to write down and say, okay, if I want to get on tour, what do I need to do? And it's like position Mm -hmm. yourself around the right people. You may have to travel. 
you may have to, you know, give up some things to focus on other things. And that's part of anything. I think if you were to sit down and say you want to, I mean, do anything, just generally, you're going to have to have that same thing. And then golf just adds a frustrating element to it. But at the same time, it's, uh, it's what I love to do. And I think everyone that plays it understands what I'm going through. And, and on their own respective level, they're doing the same. I'm the same way. I write down all my goals on paper, not in my notes on my phone. I get out a pen and paper and write it down because if you don't write it down, it's never going to happen. And I'll like stick it in a cabinet in my room or I'll stick it, you know, somewhere where I can see it every day and kind of almost manifest that stuff into my life because that's so huge. Like not only like having those goals, but believing you could do it and putting it on paper just kind of like flips the switch. I think at least. I think it holds you accountable for it. And, you know, then mm-hmm. if, if you look at it every day, because I usually tack mine up in my room or like the mirror in your bathroom or something. And, you know, oh, yeah. every day you've got an opportunity to do something and, and not to, you know, sound like a, a song or anything. But you really do. You, you've got, <laughs> you know, all these little things that go into it. Like I wake up in my room and I've been very lucky that I've, you know, had some success in golf. And, you know, there's trophies everywhere. There's pictures everywhere. There's there's memories everywhere. But to me, that's just a reminder of why I work hard. And every morning when I get up and I feel like I don't want to go to the gym or I don't want to go to the course, you know, those are constant reminder. And and in golf, especially you realize very quickly that if I'm not willing to put the work, there are people out there that are, and they're going to take those things from me. And that's, you know, that's my little fire every day. You have to do that. I mean, I'm a, I'm a very humble person, but at the same time, I think in golf, you have to have a little edge to you. And, and that's part of that learning thing too, but you know, there's nothing wrong with, with having success and sharing it and, uh, and being proud of what you've accomplished. That's, I think the, another huge step in golf is, you know, whatever your accomplishment is, be proud of it because it's not easy to get there at, again, at any level or any, any accomplishment. Yeah. I read something the other day. It was like, if my accomplishments like make you insecure, <laughs> take that shit to a therapist. And I literally love that exactly. so much, and- but I won't keep you much longer, but I do want to know as a teaching professional, why do you think most people suck at golf? <laughs> oh man. Uh, there's so many reasons. I-, I think at its core, people just, you overthink it. And a lot of the lessons that that I've given, you know, it always starts with a conversation. It's, you know, where are you at now? Where are you really hoping to go and, and get out of this? What are your goals? And then, you know, what do we have to do to get there? And I think we have to be very realistic. You know, you can't walk to a driving range as a 20 handicap and say, I want to be single digits. Okay. Like, that's great. Like we can do that. What are you willing to put into it? And they're like, well, I'll play like once on Saturdays and I'm not going to practice at all during the week. And I'll look at him and say, well, then that's impossible. And, mm-hmm. and that's really, I think why people struggle at golf. You overthink it. They go on YouTube and they watch swing tip videos. And that just makes me cringe. I mean, all that stuff, the, <laughs> the information out there, if you've ever ordered anything off of an infomercial, I guarantee you made a wrong decision. I mean, what are you doing up at that hour anyway? But it, it's just, there are so many ways to make golf easier, to make it more fun. And I think people forget to have fun. And honestly, I think that's why most people suck at golf. There, there's kind of like two sides. You've got really good players who enjoy it. 
you know, but they're grinding because they have expectations. And then you have people who go out and shoot 130, but they're just having a couple beers and enjoying a day with their friends. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, golf's hard. It's just an unforgiving game. And one day you can be so good. And the next day it's like you don't even know who you are. And, and <laughs> you know, that just kind of messes yeah. with your complex a little bit. And, you know, God forbid you add pressure to it. I don't think people understand, or maybe some do, how pressure affects you when you play golf and again it's all at a relative level you know for me to play in front of national tv and a hundred thousand people like i'm comfortable with that now but you know there are people that you know a five dollar putt on the last hole all of a sudden your hands start shaking you start feeling some different stuff going on inside your body and it's just part of that expectation and i think that's you know without super getting into it that's the hardest part i think for people in golf it's just managing your expectations having fun with it and really, you know, finding a way to get better if that's something you truly want to do, but no different than the goals that you and I described. You've got to put a little roadmap together and put a little work in or nothing's ever going to change. So, Absolutely. So there's, no, there's no pipe I... dreams on a golf course. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It has been a lot of fun chatting with you, and I wish you all the best in all your events for the rest of the I appreciate it. No, thanks for having me on. We'll do it again sometime. So much good stuff from Alex and much more to come this year as he finishes up his last couple tournaments on the PGA Tour with his exemptions and, you know, everything he's got going for him seems to be headed in the right direction. So I can't wait to see what he does. But thanks for listening to another episode of Why You Suck at Golf. If you liked it, give it five stars, you know, tell a friend, you know do something cool. My name's Avery Dovsek. Once again, you can find me on social media at Avery underscore Dovsek. That's A-V-E-R-E-E underscore D-O-V-S-E-K. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you on the next one. Have a good one, guys. Ooh, ooh, ooh.